Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers, and I have been engaging in all things of the heart, of the heart, how we desire to have our hearts changed. Now, you can find some free resources on our website, which is modernhomemakers.org, and one of them is called The Ten Questions to Diagnose My Spiritual Health. It's a great time of the calendar for Christ as we continue walking toward the crucifixion and resurrection, Palm Sunday, the celebrations of Holy Week, Thursday night, Monday, Thursday service where we practice foot washing, Friday, Good Friday services in the afternoons and in the evenings, and certainly that Resurrection Sunday morning service. And if you haven't listened to the show I did about Easter is coming, I think it was aired the 1st of March, go back and listen to some of the reasons and ways that we develop some of the habits and customs from dyeing eggs to buying new clothes. But I'm pursuing a changed heart, and today I want to talk to you about not mocking the Lord by going through a time of thinking and contemplation and church attendance. And I know people who go to church every day. I know people who go to church for the seasons of Advent and Lent before Christmas celebration, practices getting ready for the celebration of Christmas and practices getting ready for the celebration of the resurrection. And they go once a week or they go every day. And they ask the Lord for a freedom to surrender the things that they know need repentance. How do we know what we need to repent of? I recommended to you reading Psalm 51 and letting it look like a tick list to you and asking the Spirit to stop you and say, okay, this is where I need. But I want to remind you that you should not mock the Lord by going through all of these things what did you give up for Lent? It's a common question asked among all circles. My little grandchildren who go to a Lutheran school, they told me what they gave up for Lent. And one of them said, I didn't give up anything for Lent because I knew I wouldn't make it. I thought, good for you. <laughs> That's a good, straightforward answer. But don't mock this time by leaving your space unchanged. Change my heart, O oh Lord. Now, we've done many studies in the past on the Proverbs. And you remember that the Proverbs are not promises. They're not commandments. It's a book of wisdom. And we encourage you to read the Proverbs so that you can harvest wisdom from your past. If you're making the same mistake over and over and over again, it's time to stop that. It's time to change that. I, I can still remember one of the most pivotal changes in my life and it came about because those words came out of my mouth in desperation. At the time, I was praying into a black chair that had big salmon-colored flowers on it. And I would kneel and put my face in the chair. That was my prayer posture in those days, like almost every day, whenever I got there to pray. And I got to that chair. I was weeping, and I had my hand made in a fist, and I was beating on this chair, just beating on this chair. I was just getting it out. I didn't even know what was in that I had to get out. But I kept saying, I can't do this again. I can't do this again. I can't do this again. And I thought, okay, what is it? What is it that I can't do again? I, had, I felt some things, but I didn't know what it was. So had I not stopped 
and harvested wisdom from my past on that day, beating my poor little chair nearly into death, I would not have figured out that I needed to get wisdom from the things that I had been doing wrong and move forward. And God is faithful to do that. So a verse I'm going to talk to you about today comes out of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and it's probably a verse you're familiar with. It, he, here's the, what, the, what Solomon says to us. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart, watch your heart, guard your heart, keep awake. What's going on in your heart? If you're an introvert, you might not even know what's going on in your heart. You might not take any time to even know you've got a thing there pumping out life. If you're an extrovert, ah, you've got so many things going on in your heart, you don't have time to examine any of them. So this is the time I'm calling us to talk about what kind of change. This year we've been talking since last fall about do the next thing. What is the next thing? What is God calling you to do in the next thing? Well, there's a long account in the book of 1 Kings about the disciple Elijah. And the story goes that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of the one of them you took by this time tomorrow. And Elijah was afraid, and he got up and he fled, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went another day's journey into the wilderness, and he came out and he sat down under a solitary broom tree. Can you get this picture? He is running from Jezebel. Like there is nothing else you can say. She has made a vow to come and get him and he is afraid and he starts out with his servant and they run. They run as fast as they can run, as far as they can run. And he sits down under the tree, servants a day away, and he asks that he might die. I, he wants to die. He wants to get out of this mess. And he says, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. Got up, he ate and drank, and he went on to get some strength of the food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb the Mount of God. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I'm already confused, aren't you? Like, isn't he running? He knows what he's doing. He's running. He's, but the Lord says, What are you doing here? And he answers and he says, All of these wonderful things about himself. Now, listen to this. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites. And what has happened? The Israelites have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Have you ever been like that? Oh, everybody is so bad around me. And these kids, this husband, this person, this church, everyone, but I alone am good and zealous, and I alone can see how everybody else is breaking your covenant. Oh, oh, oh. So he says, 
Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake come a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice from him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord. The God of hosts for the Israelites have forsaken their covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. Does that sound familiar? Have you been to that pity party before? You know, you girls have heard me say over and over, oh, have a pity party, but don't invite too many people. I want to encourage you not to have a pity party. I, want to not, I don't want you to be like Elijah, who's saying to the Lord himself, I am so good and they are so bad. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint, and he goes through a number of people who he's supposed to anoint. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall kill, and whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elijah shall kill. Yet I will leave you 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he set out and found Elisha, who was plowing, there with twelve yoke of ox ahead of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle over him. He left the oxen, ran from Elijah, and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, Go back again for what I have done to you. He returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them using the equipment from the oxen. He boiled the flesh and gave it to the people, and they ate, and he sat out and followed Elijah and became his servant. I'm wowed by that account. Like, how long does it take for me to figure out what God is trying to tell me what this is all about? How long does it take? Well, it took... This great man, this great Elijah, remember that what had happened to him, the reason why Jezebel was after him is he had called down the fire, the water, and the gods, the Baals, couldn't do it. And she was so embarrassed because the Baals were her god. And Elijah had called down his god. And he said seven times, on the seventh time, and the cloud came and the rain came and there was enough water to fill the sea. So Elijah has done a lot of good things, but here he is in the middle of self-pity. He feels someone's chasing him. Jezebel is chasing him, and he is a mess. And I think that's what happens to us. Well, maybe Jezebel isn't charging after you. (laughs) Maybe it's something worse than Jezebel, but maybe somebody's promised to kill you. Well, maybe not promised to kill you physically, but you feel like you're being killed one ounce, one day, every time. And here comes the proverb who says, keep your heart, watch it, guard it, keep awake with all vigilance, because out of this thing comes your life. So here are a couple of things I want you to think about when I, when I ask you to guard your heart. Keep it pure. Keep your heart pure. Peaceful. 
Hebrews 12 and 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness, purity, without which no one will see the Lord. Keep your heart pure. Oh, the old early computer talk, garbage in, garbage out. Oh, what are you watching? What are you reading? How pure is your heart? If you want to guard your heart, keep it pure. Keep it undivided. Keep it loyal. Keep it devoted. Keep it committed. Not serving two masters. Remember what Jesus said about the lukewarm? Nah, I'd rather spew out of my mouth. I'd rather spew you out of my mouth. Keep it quiet. The earthquake came and the wind came and the fire came. But he, God, was in the sheer silence. In the sheer silence silence. I remember one of my first experiences with practicing a really diligent, not only guarding my heart, but practicing these 40 days before resurrection. And this phrase became a phrase that I used the whole 40 days, continuous communion, continuous communion. I was pretty good at those days, going to my closet, reading my Bible, doing my study, teaching. I've been teaching the Bible for 35 or 40 years now. I was very good at that. But then I left that and I went on. And that year, that phrase, continuous communion, I thought, oh, that's like having a sanctuary frame of mind. Where does my mind come? This lovely song that we are looking at, this change my heart this time, change my mind this time, change my mind, change my heart. A sanctuary frame of mind, a continuous communion, a confidence in God. Remember when Jesus is out on the boat and the storm comes up and they get nervous. What is Jesus doing? I picture him. I've been on that Sea of Galilee in those little boats and there's not much space, but I picture him just like I do at night. I plump up my pillow and put my head down and went right off to sleep. He is sleeping through the storm and they are worried. They are worried. A guarded heart. Maybe there's too much chaos in your heart and it needs to be changed to a quiet heart. Oftentimes people say to me, I don't understand about meditating. I don't understand what it means to meditate. Well, we're not going to talk about meditation today, but I am going to tell you that part of the reason our hearts get confused, get chaotic, become unpure, is because we are worriers. We are worriers. My friend Emily Barnes, who's now in heaven, used to, we used to laugh because she'd start out by telling us, you know, only 20% of what you worry about ever comes to pass. And with every decade, she would say, you know, it's 80% of what you ever worry about. We would laugh at it. But the reality was the majority of what you are worrying about will not come to pass. It's non-constructive. When you feel overwhelmed by worry, trade it in for meditation. And if you can worry you can meditate. Trade the chaos in for calm. Be watchful, keeping an eye out. This is active work. This is vigorously looking, keeping awake, he tells us. Guard your heart with all vigilance. You don't hire someone to guard your house who's going to take a nap. He's going to put his pistol away and not protect you. You guard 
your heart by being vigorously aware, not letting it fall asleep, not letting my feelings be misunderstood. There's a general uneasiness that comes over me. That's the only phrase I can ever call it. It's, it's, I notice now because I'm old enough and I know myself well enough. I'm very self-aware finally. But when I first began this, I remember this sort of general uneasiness. And I'd figure out, hey, what's going on? What, what, what's happening? Then I began to notice when something was going on, you know what I started to do? I started to talk too much. My husband still laughs about it. He says, I'm either tired or I'm worried about something. I'm concerned about something. And I start to talk about it. I just keep talking. I'm not, sometimes I can be irritable. And I can almost always be self-sufficient, grossly self-sufficient. None of these things may be noticeable to anyone else but you. So I want you, as we consider things to help us change our heart, practical things that we can do. When you are reading a book or a Bible that's encouraging you in your walk of faith, encouraging you to face yourself, encouraging you to be repentant, Could I tell you, when your heart feels pricked with a phrase or a word, stop right then. Just stop. Don't push yourself through the material. Stop right then and let God speak to you about it. Face yourself. Face yourself. In solitude, it becomes the furnace of transformation. It's the place of great struggle and great encounter and the struggle against the compulsions of ways that I have always lived. You want to change the way you're living? You want your heart to change? Face yourself. Slow down. Slow down and wait on God. Waiting can be very annoying. I remember the first time I considered studying the word wait out of the scripture. I thought, well, I need to apply this a little and see what, what, what well, I don't, I, you know, we don't wait that many, but I think that's all exaggerated. In the course of one day, I waited in a grocery line. I waited to get my car out of the street when the traffic was so deep that no one would let me go. I, I, I was just waiting everywhere I went. And I thought, I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting. Why? Because I don't take time to make the waiting connect to what he might be actually saying. I also notice that when I'm called to wait, I notice things that are lurking in the background inside of me. I find myself being more judgmental. Well, if she had just organized her cart a little bit, she could have got that out there faster. If she didn't have to look around for a checkbook and her pen, oh, no, we don't do that anymore. We have to look around for a cart. Is it a chip or a slider? And I can get very judgmental, but she should be ready. Finding ourselves can be shocking and disorienting. We can find that we manage our image much more than we thought. We can find that we're addicted to things like ice cream or popcorn or alcohol or cigarettes can be addicting. Break these habits. How do we break a habit? We name it. We understand that it is an unmanaged habit. Whether it's temporary or it's been a long time, it's an unmanaged habit. And this is where the Lord comes in to break our habits, to change our hearts. If you're tired, if you're worn out, 
if you're burned out by the religion that you practice, by your church, by your family, he says, come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. You will restore your soul. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Listen to what I say. Learn the on forth rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything on you that is heavy or ill-fitting. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely. Oh, if there's one thing that I pray for all of us who are part of modern homemakers, who are part of this ministry, who are part of listening to these shows, is that you would keep company with Jesus. It's the passage found in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29 and 30. So if you're undone and you're broken and you feel there's change coming and you don't quite know what to do with it, wait in it. Wait in that unbrokenness because God loves a broken and contrite spirit. Reread Psalm 51. Maybe read it every day during this time of getting ready for Resurrection Sunday. Ask yourself with some regularity, am I guarding my heart? Am I facing myself? Am I not gaining wisdom from my past and I keep repeating the same things over and over and over again? Change our heart, O Lord. Your word says it can be. Change our minds this time. Your life will make us free. We are the people your call set us apart. Lord, this time, change our heart. I'm Donna Otto, and this is Modern Homemakers. Thank you so much for taking the time to hear my earnest heart toward you. Know that I am praying for you and praying that this time your heart will be changed. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish by knowing their bad habits.